Hey everybody, this is Atkins. And this is Adam. And we're bringing you another episode of the Almighty Podcast, hot on the heels of episode 100 and 101, which we double released as a little surprise for you all. Yeah, you know, we like to guise it as if uh, we didn't want to like leave you hanging a whole week without vigilantes, but in reality, we really wanted to read those two chapters, so sorry to break the burst your bubble there. It is true. We we spent a, a, a non-zero amount of time trying to figure out how to do the vigilantes coverage and also celebrate something unique with 100 um, and then we just decided, you know what, let's keep the numbering and just double, re- double record, double release. And that's what we did. It seemed to work out pretty well. Yeah. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 100 because it was literally crafted and engineered by you guys and just executed by us. So it was a, it was a, it was teamwork makes the dream work kind of situation. We enjoyed the heck out of that uh, process and hopefully we'll have the opportunity to do it in another, what, 98 episodes. Yeah, or maybe even more. It would be fun to do something like that almost quarterly. You know, I really enjoyed uh, getting into like the fans' uh, ideas of what they wanted us to talk about. Like that was just fan-driven content is cool to me. So uh, the idea of you know all of our friends and listeners out there coming up with something they want us to talk about, like heck yeah, I'll talk about that anytime. Uh, but you know, speaking of episode one hundred, one of my favorite like sections that we did was the quirk assignments where the listeners gave us some quirk names to talk about and kind of come up with some ideas around maybe what that quirk would look like. And uh, unfortunately three of those were accidentally left out. Uh, I think they had been like DMS to you instead of through that form. Whereas some of the other parts of that form were filled out. So totally on us, uh, we apologize, but how about totally on me? uh... Adam had no part (laughs) in misplacing those. Adam did his job. He collated or yeah, he collated the uh, questions from the questionnaire. And I just totally forgot that Tomac had DM'd these in his excitement, like immediately after we made the announcement and before we had a questionnaire in place. <laughs> yeah, but we really appreciate the fact that so many folks helped uh, out with that episode. So why don't we go ahead and cover those three now, uh, if you're into it, man? Yeah, I'll do this. Uh, so Tomac sent us three uh, names for, what did you call this, quirk assignments? Quirk assignments, what you called it in the yeah. Question? yeah. Um, so three names, and if you didn't listen to 100, uh, then what this was, was we invited listeners to submit quirk names to us and that's it and then leave it up to adam and i to come up with creative quirks uh that go with those those names we had a blast doing that on episode 100 uh and unfortunately i have egg on my face and tomac you know hit me up in discord he's like so uh, i guess mine didn't make the cut and i was just like i just immediately like literally face palmed in real life and i was like he dang it he totally did send those to me and i just totally forgot so uh we Promised him that we would make up for it in our very next AMP episode, and here we are. Um, again, because we recorded 101 like immediately right after we recorded 100. So it was actually that whole before, past future thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was like a couple days before we recorded episode 100. So, so we did want to give uh, Tom X Quirks uh, a fair shake, uh, and you know, we enjoyed the process enough that so we'd repeat it again. So his first one is called Router. Yeah. R O U T E R. Did you come up with anything? Uh, for this one, Adam? I did. And, you know, Hannah, who is my wife, uh, helped host episode 100. So she came up with some ideas for some of the quirk assignments and things like that as well. And uh, I actually ran these past her just to kind of get an idea of what she thought. And it's interesting. I'm glad that I did that because she had a totally different perspective on that word than I did. When I read router, my first thought being an IT guy was like the the equipment, like a piece of equipment that routes network traffic. And right. so my mind immediately went down this thought of like in the, you 
know, network traffic world. And I'm not a network person. So if you're listening and you are, please ignore me. <laughs> but routers, you can build in like rules and stuff that allow traffic to flow a certain way. And so I was thinking it would be really neat if the router quirk allowed a user of that quirk to effectively have rules within their body that allowed their body to work and run and operate a very specific way, like all the way down to almost the atomical level. Like it would be so cool to, to say like, Oh, I've got pathogens in me or something. I'm going to like block them from getting to certain parts of my body, kill them off or what have you, or even, Hey, I really need to focus my oxygen on my muscles right now, maybe in a specific place. So that way they're recovering faster. Let me like route that to the this particular muscle or something along the lines of that, uh, and just having that full control over your body that that could lead to some really neat things. I think that does sound really interesting. But yeah. the whole time you were talking, what I was picturing was that guy whoever has this router quirk being able to poop out of his mouth like they tried so hard to do in <laughs> South Park that one episode. Yeah, that would be funny too. Yeah, I guess with I don't that know why you would want could. to route your poop out your mouth, but you could for tasties. Oh God! No. <laughs> but For Hannah, when, when I told her about router, her first thought was like a map, like someone that could route. So she was like, well, it'd be really cool if they just always knew where they needed to go or wanted to go. Uh, you know, it's just like Google Maps. That's Compass Kid. It is. That's exactly what I was thinking was Compass Kid. But he only knows directional like east, west, north, south, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, he's like, like he his quirk point. is as the crow flies for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking more like literally Google Map translation. That would be pretty neat. Gotcha. I stuck closer to your IT version of router and uh, classified this as a quirk that allowed somebody uh, to intercept any digital signals inside of a specified vicinity and locate their point of origin. Ooh, so that's cool. Yeah. So not necessarily super hackery, um, but would be good for like detective work and um you know, it, it could be used in forensics of different kinds, I think. So yeah. not not overly powerful. It would be powerful if he could, like, access any network. That that seems OP for something called router. Um, but for him to be able to sense and, like, be able to basically track back to, uh, that IP to a physical place um, with his quirk seems, seems reasonably powerful enough in certain situations. It depends, because you can do that right now. Well, yeah, but he, he could do it inherently. You know, yeah, that would be pretty cool. Without any kind of tech assess, uh, you know, equipment and yeah, um, and I, I would say that you know there are maybe he has maybe his is somehow able to overcome like VPNs, which kind of throws some of that Ooh, process yeah. off for um, forensics nowadays. That would be really neat. Like so, like it gets past masking and things. Yeah, like just it it almost is kind of like the quirk I talked about, like being able to like interface with technology at that level. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um. Tomac, second one was called synchronization. Yeah, I struggled with this one because I, I was trying to think of, you know, what all could be. And the only thing I could really think of for this one, was, I think that there is an X-Men villain uh, that has a quirk kind of similar to this where they can basically mirror a person. Uh, so it's not literally like one to one. And that's how synchronization in my mind would work if we were going to go that route where you know, the user of this quirk is going to literally synchronize with someone else and flip it. So if they're doing something, then that person that they're inflicting their quirk on has to do it as well. And I was thinking it might be kind of cool if they had to maintain eye contact of some kind, like some kind of contact with that user. So that way they, they initiate this synchronization and then that person has to do everything they're doing 
for a limited amount of time. That's hilarious because I wrote two things down. The first was just a phrase, Dark Link from uh, Ocarina of Time, I think it was. I never played like that you, one. Uh, what? The? You haven't played I, the Hannah Legend I, of Zelda game? <laughs> Hannah and I were literally talking about this like 30 minutes ago because it's on the Nintendo 64 emulator that the Switch has now. And I was like, I've never uh-huh. played that and I want to. And then I said, in fact, I've never played any Legend of Zelda game outside of the original. Wow. Which, and- I mean, having been a gamer for almost 30 years is pretty incredible. I just never had a system access to any of the other ones until recently. So, I will honestly say that I've not played uh, the newest one, Breath of the Wild. Um, and there were some, like once you got into the Wii territory, which was Skyward Sword or Twilight, Twilight Princess, Princess yeah. um, and onward, I haven't done any, but the... N64 Zeldas, both of them. I actually enjoyed Majora's Mask. I know some people didn't. Um, and Wind Waker in particular. I, I, in fact, I've been thinking about uh, purchasing Wind Waker for the Switch to replay it. Nice. Um, but yeah, in Ocarina of Time, anyway, you have this encounter with uh, like a mirrored version of yourself that can do basically everything that you can do. Um, so that came to mind. Um, and the way that you described having to maintain some kind of contact actually tied into the kind of parallel idea i had for this which was just some sort of shadow possession jutsu which is what um oh you've seen in naruto um where uh shoot what's the character's name uh he's like my my favorite of the students it's not shikamaru is it yeah it is it is it shikamaru is it it shikamaru oh crap that's making me feel uh, like that's the dog guy but i don't i don't think yeah it it does it's making me feel like that too uh (laughs) why do i think that i don't know yeah shikamaru is the correct one nara shikamaru okay okay yeah okay so, uh, yeah, so his he was my favorite character. If you can't tell, I remember his name and everything. Um, <laughs> it's been years. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, so that that is a very similar thing where the mechanic for his jutsu was that he could extend his shadow and, and go through shadows to, to possess a person's body and make their bodies do exactly what he was doing. Um, so that that's what the term synchronization made me think of as well. And his last quirk that he assigned to us, uh, this one I had a hard time with. It is named Blood Bank. Uh, I'm curious to know what you came up with, because I came up with like three or four different things. Like I, I varied a lot on this one. I had a lot of initial ideas that ended up totally in a separate place. I went with a, like a, uh, what, what, what's, what am I thinking here? Um, it's, it's a medical application is what I'm thinking. Like he would be... Um, he would be uh, right next to Recovery Girl uh, oh, okay, on, yeah. on the scenes. Uh, so Blood Bank is a quirk that allows the user to alter their blood type uh, amongst the range of blood types That's and also allows them to produce blood at a higher volume um, so that if they it basically be like a human um, like blood transfusion mm-hmm. machine of some kind. Um, where whatever the required blood type is, they could produce and could produce it at higher volumes, but not forever. Like there would have to be, I would imagine that it has some sort of physical requirement, kind of like Momo's create uh, creation quirk, where certain amount of input has to be there for him to be able to overproduce blood, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. And that's definitely where I started too. That was my first initial thought was like, this is going to be medical, like you'd be right there with Recovery Girl, uh, who I never remember, so I'm glad you went first. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> but I ended up in a, a much darker spot where I was thinking it would be really interesting if this individual with this quirk somehow was uh, like absorbing blood, kind of like Hero Killer Stain. Um, maybe not necessarily on purpose, though. Like maybe they just draw blood towards them, and then when it's absorbed, they are able to store that one person's like 
memories and like abilities and things like that. Like everything comes with that blood. And so the the issue that they run into is that that quirk can only store one person's at a time. So this individual is always losing their memory and like their abilities and getting new ones and never really knowing quite who they are. Uh, but I was like, ah, that's pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Hannah, I, Hannah had this idea of like, well, what if this person could go into a, a battle scene or a crime scene and recover the blood for the people that lost it? Like if they've spilled a bunch of blood in a fight or something, then this this quirk would send it back to that original owner. And I was like, what if that person, though, is like getting stitched up and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, just all this blood comes back, like rips open the stitches and is forcing itself back into the body? Like, no, that would not be good. <laughs> I came close to having a, an answer for Blood Bank that would make the the wielder of that quirk like the perfect sidekick for uh, Himiko Toga. Like being able to store several, like it would basically replace Toga's, um, like her own, like, like a support gear. System. Yeah. 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 This just this is a walking, you know, uh, depository basically that of blood that, uh, Toga could take advantage of at her, at her whim and desire that maybe had a capacity greater than, um, the, the devices that she carries around. But, uh, I ended up going for the, uh, the, the helpful one instead. Yeah. Yeah. I like these. These were fun. Well, Tom Mac, I hope uh, I hope you accept our sincerest apologies and hope that those quirks worked out in a way that that was uh, pleasing to you. And of course, Tom Mac, if you now that you're listening and have heard what we've done with them, we definitely want to know what you had in mind. So let us know in the Discord. Those are always fun conversations. Yeah, they would be, and uh, hopefully we can introduce some more fun conversations like that to the Discord very soon. But for now, let's get into vigilantes, which is what we're circling the wagons to talk about. Chapters slash episodes one hundred and ten and 111 of Vigilantes. So, uh, Adam, do you want to go ahead and say your thing so we can get started? Oh, my thing. <laughs> We're picking up <laughs> right where we left off last week. There it is. <laughs> I was like, what thing? And then I realized it's the thing I say every episode. <laughs> yeah. He got it. He got it. Oh, man. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Well, we do pick up right where we left off. Koichi is going down the uh, alleys here, and he has escaped from Six, or he thinks he's escaped from Six. And uh, he's being chased down by a whole bunch of these anonymous bombers. He's got like a whole mob of them just on his trail coming after him. Uh, he says that there's like some sort of killer rugby team, which is I thought was pretty, pretty funny and very accurate. It's, they do seem to well, be going after him. And it's oddly specific for a Japanese person to say, right? Like, is yeah, rugby so. big in Japan? I don't know. I, di- I didn't do any research on it, but that's not the sport that I would have thought like a Japanese mind would have would have gravitated towards rugby of all things. Huh. Yeah, but I think that rugby is known for being like a heavy high contact sport with no pads or, you know, gear like equipment. Yeah. I guess I mean it's it's not inaccurate. I was just like, "Huh, rugby is not the, t- the that's a good sport point. that I thought was going to yeah, come out I of his mouth just then." I didn't even think about that. Uh, well, he decides that he's going to try to slip down an alleyway, but they are definitely two steps ahead of him, and they just come right at him. Uh, then we get our nice little intro panel. It is named Careless. This episode is 110 Careless, which I thought was uh, pretty good. I like that name. It's accurate. It's accurate descriptor of, of what the expectation is from Six towards Koichi here as we progress through 110. He, Koichi, um, decides to evacuate. He kind of found himself uh, caught between... Uh, two groups of the anons in an alley, so he rocket boot equivalents out of the uh, out of the alleyway. And when he looks down, he sees that there are people that are standing outside, and they appear they, they appear to be construction workers um, because they have like hard hats on. 
did I, I think that's what is going on there? They're Except not they're not dressed. in construction clothes. Yeah, like this one guy I'm pretty sure has a Nike shirt on. It doesn't say yeah, it just Nike. Says nice. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely the swoop <laughs> and it says nice. Uh, and they have like backpacks. So I don't know. There's they're wearing construction hat helmets, yes, but I don't know why. Me neither. But uh Koichi being the ever mindful and careful, um, you know, your loving neighborhood Koichi man. Uh, sees the people and he decides that they need to be protected, of course, because he'd be the hero and whatnot. Um, so he uh, starts diving into their directions and then manages to intercede just in time. And I can't believe I had this thought when I was reading this the other day. I can't believe it never hit me before. But what Koichi is kind of doing as he's deflecting these blows from six and now from these anons is he's being Mr. Mime and throwing up the little invisible wall with his hands. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> he's just that's a awesome. he's just a not clowny looking Mr. Mime right now. That's wow. that's what he's doing. It's, in this panel in particular, it literally looks like he puts up like a an invisible wall to deflect the uh, explosion. It does, yeah. I mean, I know that's not how it's working, but it does look like that. That's really funny. I hope I didn't just ruin Koichi for anybody, but the Mr. Mime analogy was there the whole time. I just missed it until until this this particular panel is what did it for me. Um, but Koichi does end up uh, being flung backwards. Uh, the people are safe. He tells them that, of course, they need to please take shelter somewhere, and he's trying to figure out a way to get out of Naruhata. Um, he has finally realized that perhaps uh, he's in a position where he can very easily be if he isn't already uh, overwhelmed. Yeah, and he decides that he has got to stick to the big streets or the station areas, um, and he's like, nah, I don't think so, because that's going to get someone hurt, and he's trying everything he can to keep people from getting hurt. So he leads into a thought, but then we get scooped away, and we are hanging out with Soga, who is just driving that motorcycle down the road. He's recognizing that the uh, bearing of the blast or where they're coming from is changing, so that he's like turning around he's headed towards the old district and then we get kind of treated to a, a quick scene here with the hata brothers who had a whole bunch of people at their place and it it's not a coffee shop anymore isn't it like a kitten cat shop kind of thing yeah they're going to turn it into like a cat cafe was yeah. at least a, at least a joke at some point they're trying to make it like a legitimate restaurant right. I mean, look at the way that they're dressed and uh the the way that uh, takage is dressed up and all these guys um that they're not not takage that's Rap's last name. Um, the Ikajiro, um, Takobe, that's yes, his name. The non hada brother. Very close. Yeah, the non hada bro. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, so they're they're as the the workforce along with uh, the dude, what is an eel who's Teruo. Um Teruo they're is right. they're all dressed up all all to the nines and the people here are all Naruhada fest faces, except for Kamayan, who is also here. For some reason I was also f- I feel like I remember a panel a couple of chapters ago where Mikado walked through here and was with the Hata brothers, but she doesn't appear to be in this scene. No, she is not. So I don't know if I just totally misremembered that or not. Uh, but there are a handful, like you said, of these, I'm going to call them students or Narahata Fest uh, employees. They're all here. Uh, and it seems like uh, they're trying to stay huddled down. But one of the girls, Miyu, uh, gets up and she runs out. And of course, they're like, hey, not so fast. Don't leave. But she keeps going. And yeah, we don't really, wild. Why do you think she left? I have no idea because it doesn't get revisited in either of these chapters. And I don't even remember it- who Miyu is. So I'm like... <laughs> like wasn't she's just one of the she's other one singers? of the feather hats yeah or she's she's one of the 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 two sisters that sing that's what i was like, thinking I, yeah the feather hats is what they're called in the act but I, they had a name similar to that like before they started the naruhata stuff i think because these were the sisters that pop like sang with or danced for while they were singing right 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 
Yeah, I don't know. Because at first I was thinking that maybe it was the girl that was dating uh, the uh, the dancer guy. or I don't know. that There was like a whole subplot that happened. Yeah, no, there. that's in, if you look at the top panel right in front of Teruo is where those two are. Those that's two are the there. leader yeah, that's of the right. band and the leader of the dance team? Something like mark? that. I think that's what she was. I was thinking that was her. Maybe she was running to get him, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe me was going to step. Check on Pop? That feels weird. But like I said, it doesn't, it does. it doesn't get revisited. This was a weird panel in general. I, I don't know. I hope there's some big payoff for this. Yeah, it's definitely the maybe the most curious thing that happens in these two chapters as far as like, I literally have no idea what's going on here. Yeah. And then, I mean, we get swooped back over to Koichi, who is going down an alley and he's like, hey, look, I should be fine now. I've gotten pretty far away. I'm just going to escape this neighborhood, and, uh, you know, once I get uh, away, I'll go get All Might, and then everything's going to be fine. Like, I just got to follow this road free and clear. That's what he thinks, anyways. As he's continuing down the alley, we zoom up, and we see Six up, up on, on top of one of these uh, massive buildings, and he has this little, like, map in one of these panels that I'm guessing he's envisioning, and he's talking about how, like, he basically tricked Koichi into going down this very specific path that he wanted him to tricking and hoping that he would realize that he's in the clear when he really isn't in the clear like he's in the the crosshairs for six here and he says you know you, you're not fast enough to outrun a supersonic round and he like starts spitting up all these gun pieces so he has rifle parts that he's hidden in his body along with these bullets and he like does this really really cool thing where he basically turns himself into a massive living sniper rifle like he locks his joints and he he turns his eyes he had six or seven before he makes them into one massive eye and his whole right arm is just this barrel of a sniper rifle it's pretty pretty cool he calls it number six sniper style yeah i really like this visual and um i'll go ahead and admit this now because it does come up uh maybe in the next chapter that i did have a certain character's appearance spoiled for me on twitter and the mha proper stuff um who's like appearance is kind of similar to what six is pulling off here. Not exactly, but close. And her, her name is lady Nagant and she's some sort of like sniper person too. Oh, cool. um, you see her in the background of a panel in one of these chapters, the one where six is just a blob with a six on his back. I'll, yeah. I'll point it out to you if you missed it. Yeah. Cause there were definitely some uh, pro heroes in that panel. I didn't recognize cause they've got a bunch we've seen before, which I thought was really cool. Correct. And, and she's, she's one of them. I, I, th- I think she had already been in the manga, the proper manga. By the time that this came out, um, you and I have not been introduced to her, but I'd seen her, her a picture of her and a, a little bit of an indication of what her quirk might have been on Twitter at some point. Gotcha. So in uh, her name, of course, that's why I knew what to call her. But um, it's very evocative of that. I'll, I'll point it out to you when we get there, too, so you can make the comparison yourself. Uh, and he yeah locks, locks these joints in. Uh, in a zoomed out picture of this, uh, of his position a little later, it looks like he even sprouts several like small feet like tripods. Uh, to kind of stabilize his body as he fires, I guess, these high caliber rounds. They must be if they're uh, supersonic, I guess. But um, he does start letting the readers know that this is going to take an awful lot of his um, his processing uh, to, to be able to do this. He says that uh, planning, calculation, focus all require ba- brain power. And in all my bloodlust, I'm going to pour this into a single shot and my brain is about to scramble yours. And he's looking down the sighting of his arm, I guess, uh, down at Koichi. 
Yeah, it's a really cool panels here too because we kind of get the zoom in on his face and that one single eye. And as we were looking at Koichi on the left-hand side of this this page, it's like literally, like I said earlier, a crosshair almost, except it's like these dots or these circles that are lit up to different variations, zooming in on his head. I think these are cool panels. I, I like this. Like Koichi is in imminent danger right now. And uh, you feel and he it. He doesn't even know it. Doesn't have a clue. And uh, <laughs> this... These next panels, I am so stoked for them. Like, out of nowhere, we see this huge splatter or like this splash over Six's face. And you can tell something's up here. And we see none other than Knuckle Duster himself absolutely putting a hole through Six's head. Yeah, and it looks kind of like he's hitting him really quickly in this in one of these panels, as almost as if he retains some small, maybe a modicum of his quirk after all. Yeah, there's like one, like two, this, three, four, five, almost seven like punches, or like it looks like punches. Yeah, and I couldn't tell if they were trying to communicate that to us, or I mean, what they really tried to communicate the page before was just severity, not necessarily frequency. But I mean, these panels are really, really um, chock full of of lines and they're violent looking. Um, but you see Knuckle Duster's grin as he's uh, speaking over six, a supersonic shot, and he'll never know what hit him. No one could ever defend against us. What that, that was what your train of thought was, wasn't it? The one you thought would carry you to victory. And the last thing we get is a two-page spread at the end of 110, where it's Knuckle Duster, his face, uh, actually most of him kind of shrouded in darkness as he says, well, too bad, sucker, because I'm here. Man. Wasn't that one of the first things that that um, we had him say was, um, I am here? Because yeah. we, we drew the line between him and All Might. And absolutely. Kind of getting a, a return to that particular line. Yep, absolutely. I remember that being one of the first things that really drew us into Vigilantes was, was Knuckle Duster saying, like, I'm here. You know, just that parallel. It's such a, he's such a cool foil to, to All Might in a way. Uh, but man, we've been calling it for like weeks now, and it finally happened. I was so stoked to see Knuckle Duster. Yep, he's got his beard back, um, and he does have his, uh, he did go and retrieve his knuckles, after all. What so, was your crazy, not great theory about what happened to those again? <laughs> Somebody I, stole them? I, uh, that wasn't Knuckle Duster? <laughs> I felt like I thought that Six stole them, for some reason. I mean, there's some merit to that, I guess, but no, I was, I'm pretty sure this whole time I was like, no, nah, dog, it's, it's Knuckle but Duster. See, the thing that threw me off was when I said it was Knuckle Duster, you were like, no way. Why did he break in? He could have just walked in and gotten them. And then I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. And then I never thought about it being Knuckle Duster again until I saw this. No, I think my whole argument back now, we're going to have to go back and listen to ourselves. It's a good thing this is recorded. I thought my whole thing was that he did the least amount of damage and took nothing else but the Knuckles. Therefore, it was Knuckle Duster. Whereas like six probably would have. I don't know, taking all Trashed sorts of all stuff or at least been a little bit more violent with it. Yeah. No, I think, um, you, I think we, we've said that too, or you've said that. Another thing too is, you know, uh, there's a Frank Miller, uh, very popular Batman comic called the dark Knight returns, right? Of course. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people shorten that down to DKR when they're discussing it in papers and, or online or whatever. Here we have KDR knuckle duster returns. Oh, you're right. Huh. And he is kind of a dark dun, dun, knight dun. for sure. That's a nice little point he out. He is a bit. We've yeah, we've we've drawn some parallels between him and Batman here here and there. But nothing too nothing too like strong or definitive, but there are definitely some if if Knuckle Duster is a circle in a Venn diagram and Batman is another circle, there's there's a little bit of overlap there oh, for, sure. for sure. I think that that's hard to argue. Yeah, because I think All Might really is like the Superman of the series. Knuckle Duster could definitely be argued as the Batman of this series. I can see that. 
Yeah. So with that, we'll segue us into episode 111, which is called Return of the Fist. I should still think they should have gone with Duckle, uh, Duckle Nuster. <laughs> Duckle Nuster. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to keep the like DKR order in my head for some reason. <laughs> they should have done with the Knuckle Duster Returns um, to to really heavily uh, tie those those two things together. But I feel like it could have been called uh, Knuckle Sandwich. Why? Why Knuckle Sandwich? Because it's like Return of the Knuckles. Like I don't know. He, he punches him, he gives him a knuckle sandwich. Yeah, he does. He just never has called it that, I don't think. I, no, he hasn't. I guess I guess my, my idea was silly. That's what it was. I do have a question, though. I just, the, the front cover here, is that him on top of Koichi's place, or is it just some random building? Because I feel like it's supposed to feel like Koichi's place, but I don't think it is. Well, it must be either on top of Koichi's place or the building next to it or very nearby, because you remember he, I thought that it was in Koichi's place or, I mean, so here's the, ult- I'm, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but we find out that Nakamura's big plan is to just blow him and six up. Right. And we're shown, remember there was a, like a package that yes. was shrouded That's in so Koichi's found. building. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about like and what is could, that package? We've talked about it for weeks now, and we know that that's now yeah. the bomb. So it has to, he has to be standing on top of Koichi's building then, or he's got several of those in in buildings around town, and it's some sort of like localized transmitter that he's got. I mean, that would work too. Because I, I don't. Because I was trying to figure out well, how in the world like because he talks about pre planning and trying to figure out where six was going to be, and for him to have a like a a, a margin of error of zero seems like not a very good knuckle duster move so maybe he's got several of these things planted around that's a fair um, point but yeah but he's standing there and he's got a weird looking kind of crutch thing i couldn't quite make out what exactly it was it looks it kind of looks like he's holding a muffler or like a cheese grater or something like with the yeah, rod it does look like a cheese grater a it's weird i i mean as far as the crutches go it's not what i would expect <laughs> I was yeah, wondering if it maybe, was supposed to be like a gun, maybe? Because it almost looks like it could be kind of like a, I don't know, like an ammo, cha- cha- ammo chamber for a rifle or something, but it's strange looking. Yeah, and maybe this is just a weird, maybe that chamber has got a big spring in it to help with stability, I don't know. But he doesn't keep it for very long, he ends up ditching it, um, I mean, almost like two pages in or something like this, but he's he's using it because... He's short an eye, and one of his knees is in not great shape, apparently. He he makes a specific point of that out um, in the second page of this chapter. He says that his climbing all these stairs has been hell on his knee, and there's a full panel dedicated to the damage and the, uh, well, maybe not the damage, but the, uh, the, the kind of medical tools that he's having to rely upon, including that weird cane and this knee brace. Yeah. That looks like a pretty gnarly brace, too. Like, definitely something that you would wear after some serious knee reconstruction of some kind. Right. So he he's thinking to himself about the situation, and he says, in a contest of speed that you're bound to lose, the only way to fight back is with a solid plan. This is where he's talking about that plan that you, you mentioned. He has decided that he needed to do some preemptive thinking with this slower brain of his and put a little work in to get a few steps ahead. So what he's realizing or what he's listening to currently is that the blasts are getting closer, kind of like how Sogo was realizing that the blasts were all over the place or in new locations uh, in the last chapter. He realizes that he's made it just in time. Like, okay, this is happening. The blasts are getting closer. I've picked the right location. He looks down and he sees uh, number six, who is in his like sniper style mode. And this is where you can kind of see those like tripod feet leg things that you mentioned earlier i I didn't notice that until you said it and i was like oh wow that's exactly what that looks like 
Yeah, he's got, it's like sinews that extend down from uh, both the arm of his that is serving as the barrel and also some kind of down around his back. If you, um, if you look closely at the panel, you'll see him uh, displayed uh, out from him for, for stability's sake, because this thing presumably is going to have a bit of kick and he's trying to compensate so that he can stay on target. I get, I mean, that's why you, that's the greater reason why you would have those stabilizers, I guess. Um, So maybe he's not thinking, he did spit up several bullets. So it's not like he's only got the one and that's his only shot at least. There's even some coming off of his tail. If you look at his tail, he looks like he's got some stabilizers there. So yeah. And I mean, he, he, Definitely want to have a clear shot and a steady shot if you're trying to track uh, Koichi because he's fast. And Knuckle Duster even says that, like, hey, I, Koichi Hamawari's speed is a threat and you know it. So I knew that you'd circle around up ahead and set a trap of your own. So I needed to do the same exact thing effectively. Uh, and he says, you know, you probably had that brutal attack you'd never see coming. That's the optimal battle tactic that you chose. Uh, and he says, for my one shot at victory, I'm going with the same plan. And he goes into uh, kind of explaining that, like, while he is sniping, he's going to strike from above. And we get those exact panels. I mean, it's I'm almost reading it literally word for word here. But he is jumping off this building. He ditches that cane and he, he's going to hit him. Yeah, unlike six. Knuckle Duster does not have multiple shots available to him. He he gets one, um, and he's putting all of it into this aerial assault. And so uh, we kind of break uh, away from this scene as he is uh, descending down upon six, uh, and we get a little bit of um, backstory on our beloved number six. Beloved? Question mark. Um, this Music this note. main villain of of all things vigilantes, really, um, who, who's been the most persistent villain, of course, and for certain. Um, and we find out, this is a scene that takes place um, with three characters. You've got uh, Dr. Garaki, you've got All for One, and then you have Six. And we've talked about the way that Six has been presented visually before um, as this kind of blob, nondescript blob. Um, and he's just got a giant number six on his back, a few like Charlie Brown sparse hairs on the top of his head, uh, a nondescript face uh, with just two circles for eyes and one for a mouth. Uh, just no defining characteristics whatsoever, really. Um, and we weren't sure if that was... Th- I know at some point we'd had a discussion about whether or not that was what Six was in actuality. Um, but we get an explanation of why he's been depicted that way, because we find out that uh, whoever Six is has a case of what uh, of what is called agnosia. Did you bother to look that up, Adam? I did, and I have the definition for you if you're ready for it. Yeah, later on. Inability to interpret sensations and hence to recognize things typically as a result of brain damage. Even oneself um, is kind of the argument that is being uh, given here. And it's uh, all for one or Dr. Garaki woman, probably the doctor, is explaining that it's typically from some sort of congenital birth defect or early childhood trauma to the brain. Um, but they say that this test subject has no awareness of his own self. And Garaki is ready to just kind of hand wave six as uh, a lost cause. Um, like he's an intri- intriguing case study, he says, but he's unfit to be a pupil of yours, but all for one disagrees. Yeah, he goes into this and he says that this is actually potentially the thing he's been looking for, if anything, right? Like this is exactly what he wanted. He says this little one is an unbridled lump of potential, possibly even the twisted entity we seek given a strong enough impetus or a strong enough force. He says, yes, he's ready to be kneaded like a a wad of clay into whatever form I desire. And I think it was Tomac and I that actually talked about this in the Discord a little bit and in regards to, 
you know, do we think that six really is this like human child that feels like this blob or is this really just how one for all, or is this really just how all for one sees six and that mirror image that we see of this little kid, is that what he really looks like? And I think that's a good question. I think you could argue kind of all around. I mean, even if this is a little blob experiment, it feels like it could be potentially possible that this little blob thing has agnosia as well. Like it may not look like that child in the mirror. I, so how are you interpreting this? I'm curious. Like, do you think that's a a kid? Yes. My interpretation is this is the human child that we see in the reflection, um, is what six is seeing, but he interprets his own reflection as what we, what six is depicted as this blobless thing. And that's a result of that agnosia. So he is a human child. You can even see um, one of the biggest clues, in my opinion, is if you look at the reflection and you look at the human boy's wrist, do you see this like uh, bracelet of some kind? Yeah, there's like a one panel where their hands are touching or like her, or, or the blob's hand is touching the mirror. And in the reflection, there seems to be some kind of a little bracelet. But the blob right, itself you- is not wearing the bracelet. Right, and he, he probably wouldn't, possibly because of his agnosia, his inability. It's, it's, a, it's like an inability to, um, to c- kind of keep in mind what it is that you're perceiving. So he, he, he can see that. His eyes work, but there's something in the brain that doesn't transmit those signals appropriately. So my interpretation of these panels was he is this young man that is uh, depicted in the mirror, but his interpretation of what he is perceiving tactily, visually, um, all, you know, all other sensations, Ali, um, then uh, it gets scrambled up in his brain. And so he feels as if, or even perceives himself because those signals get scrambled as this nondescript blob that, that has no shape, form, um, like object permanence is probably something that he struggles with sure, it well yeah. as well, I would guess, with agnosia. Do you think that this version we're seeing has been, uh, I'm going to use this made-up word, uh, nomuified? Like, do you think he has been experimented on? I mean, it doesn't sound like it based off the conversation, but that's kind of where I was wondering if potentially he has already been turned into a nomu, and that has what is what's caused this disconnect or this agnosia to some extent. Like, he doesn't know what to think because he is this blank slate of a Nomu, if that makes sense. Well, Dr. Grocky seems unsure of what could have caused it. That's why he's saying maybe congenital brain, maybe physical trauma. So I think this is something that this child had. And we know All for One has, um, with regards to Shigaraki, found presumably, um, you know, these discarded kids or, or not even uh, that. orphaned kids. I mean, this doctor is a children's doctor. He saw Midoriya. He has direct access sure. to any kid he wants, really. Yeah, as long as so, they're walking into the right doctor's office. Yeah, and, and so I wonder what it is that Garaki saw in the young boy that is six, uh, that, that was the kind of the, the inspiration but behind him being taken, or all for one for that matter, if he was the person that initiated the kidnapping yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but then afterwards, after that particular fact, they find out of this agnosia uh, or Dr. Garaki does upon further examination or even initial examination. Um, and he decides, you know, this isn't the right vessel for you. We need to move on and find another one, but all for one has other plans. And it really adds an extra layer to six, knowing that he's not some like test tube experiment, you know, like he's, he was this little kid once that just has like a mental health disorder. He can't almost couldn't help it, you know? Yeah, it turns it turns six into a really tragic figure actually because right. 
um, because he has no concept of who or what he is. We already know that he, uh, you know, idolizes Knuckle Duster or really O'Clock in all that he is, wants to be that hero and embody, um, even, even take on the literal power and role of that hero and also even borrows Koichi's face. Like he's, he's super malleable. I've used that word, um, with regards to six before. Um, and we see that again, when if, with his shift into the sniper mode and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, it it makes him, it's a, it's a bit of a tragedy because he doesn't know who he is. He's just trying to be somebody else this whole time. Um, and even in the midst of that, you have all for one trying to make him into something specific for his own selfish goals. So six is also, you know, being taken advantage of, uh, in a very specific way here. Oh yeah, for sure. Groomed really. Yeah. Well, in, in this next panel, we see what I think you were referencing earlier. It's a, it's the kid six or the blob sitting there and he's looking up at all what I would assume are probably different TV panels of some kind. It's just the way he's interpreting these. And we see all these different pro heroes, ones that we recognize, like Gang Orca is here, Endeavor is on one panel, and uh, there are a couple in the right-hand side. I feel like I've seen them before, but I don't remember the name. Um, and All for One is literally saying, like, listen, number six, you know, you are nobody right now. You're not anyone in particular, but you can be whoever you want. Like, choose one of these quirks that tickles your fancy. And then let that quirk twist you into shape. Let it give you form. And we see, you know, this little six pointing at the supersonic hero O'Clock. And All for One is like, oh, brilliant. Let's do it. We'll, we'll get this. We'll take care of it. And he says, can you visualize him as your mentor? And we get this really sick image of well, really the, the visage of, of O'Clock that we've been seeing, that Six has been seeing this whole time that we've been presented to, and him like just this dastard look on his face, and the screens are almost like blurring in and out. And uh, it's that that visage saying, I am your future. I am the form you're meant to take. And it's it's evil version, really, of O'Clock. Yeah, so two things. If you go back to uh, the page where he's looking at the various pro heroes that lady Nagant, I think that's her name. Yeah. God, I hope I'm not screwing that up, but she's kind of on the left center. You could see she's got a giant gun arm. I don't know what else she does, but she's got a giant gun arm. Um, and that's very, very close to what six, um, is utilizing right now. Um, and then it, when it, with regards to all for one saying, now, how about this? Can you visualize him as your mentor? I couldn't tell if all for one used some sort of quirk here. Or if we're actually seeing what Six is imagining as O'Clock being his mentor in that middle panel. I don't know if All for One is being manipulative and taking that form as if to say, look, you see, you did it. So, And because you can visualize him as your mentor, then you need to listen to him as mentor. And that gives him that inroad of... Um, uh, of d- like instruction and, um, and, and direction into... Uh, into six what do you think i'm not 100 percent sure either this was something i was really trying to determine because the the image we see has that same kind of glow around it that we've been seeing and i don't know if i like the idea of it being some kind of a quirk or if i like the idea of six basically planting this image of o'clock or his mentor over top of uh all for one. All for one. Yeah, because we don't really know what all for one looks like. I mean, we've only seen like the lower half of his face. Uh, so even in these panels, his, his upper half is completely blurred out, which I think is a really nice touch. 
I don't want to say it's possible that that the child six doesn't know what he looks like either. He's standing right there. But if he really does have this agnosia, maybe that's part of it. Maybe he doesn't know what all for one looks like. And so he's, he's in his brain. It's just auto transplanting that image of who his one and only thing he can focus on right now is, which is O'Clock. So that's who almost anyone that would talk to him like that would look like. Yeah. I like that better, I think, than it being some kind of a quirk, because that doesn't feel like a quirk that all for one would just hold on to, like just to look like someone else. I I don't know that I jive with that. Yeah. Well, it's it was a very interesting background information on six for sure. I think that it again added a a very tragic um, background to him that uh, was I mean, I guess it was hinted at prior, um, but it's it's in very. Um, very stark detail now and it it, it does kind of change it changed my perception of and reading of six as as a villain entire i mean not maybe not entirely because a lot of what i thought about him remains intact but it definitely is um comes through with a little bit more color and clarity i think does that make sense absolutely yeah and i think it only continues to become more clear i mean we go into this next panel here and it's like this next panel is actually kind of hard to look at just because you're not really super sure what's going on. I mean, you can tell that it's Six's face being attacked, but it's like it looks like it's so many punches all at once that he's just being absolutely berated. And then going into that next panel, it's the same thing as of Knuckle Duster just continuing to pound into his face with his fists. And he's thinking to himself, basically what you said earlier, I have one shot at this. I can't do anything else because any other type of attack, if it failed, it would give Six the chance to get away. I cannot have that this time. I have to get up. I have to be close and I have to be personal about it. Um, and he's, he's, as he's like wrecking Six's face, he says, Hey, didn't you have something to say to me? And it's crazy because Six's face goes back into that like human face that we've seen before. Rock Nomura slash totally a Koichi clone. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. And I'm wondering here if he lost the ability to maintain form or if he was emotionally triggered by knuckle duster to turn into that form. I would say something closer to the latter. Um, almost as if, cause we know that six knows that Koichi is understudied with uh, knuckle duster. Right. And so maybe subconsciously he's projecting that image of Koichi before Koichi's sensei, um, you know, as a, almost as like a reflexive um, attempt at, like emotional oh, like manipulation him. in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's, I hadn't considered that. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, as he it didn't work, no, it didn't. Yeah. Cause <laughs> in these panels, knuckle dusters just going at it. He's literally wrecking the, uh, this guy's face. Uh, but six does go into it and he says like, you know, why, why him? Why not me? I mean, this is more sympathy towards him. Almost. You can tell that this was a kid that just wanted to be accepted. And unfortunately, all for one was the first person that maybe did accept him or show him guidance and love and the things that he craved. And he's saying here, like, all I ever wanted was to become you. And I, I mean, I, it just makes you feel bad for six in a way, you know, like he definitely was going about things the wrong way, but I think everyone can to some extent understand wanting to be somebody, right? Well, it's what all for one told him to do. If you go back to that panel where he's sitting in front of the TVs, all for one says, choose a quirk that tickles your fancy. Let that quirk twist you into shape and let it give you form. So all for one has given him not only an instruction, but a promise. Uh, And so uh, six is struggling with that because this is what he spent years becoming. Um, and now he's being denied that ability to uh, take up that post. And he's been trying to do that for a long time. Yeah, that's um, a good point. You know, he 
he'd been stymied during the Queen Bee uh, arc, uh, and now uh, he's he's has his his own mentor again. This is the second time that these two have come to significant significant blows, right? Um, and, and he still feels like he can't get the people out of out of place so that he can assume what he believes to be his rightful place according to the not only again direction but promise that offer one makes to him as a young very impressionable kid yeah that's a good point six is definitely uh not going to let knuckle duster have his way he he seems to be pretty prepared for almost anything he raises his hand up into knuckle duster's face and knuckle duster is like oh crap a gun and right at the middle of his palm, we see this this exit hole for a, a bullet. And sure enough, Six fires it. And we transfer down to Koichi on the ground, who recognizes that there was a gunshot, like looks up, and he sees Soga behind him. So Koichi's finally caught up. When we go back into the foray between Knuckle Duster and Six, Knuckle Duster has grabbed that hand and moved it aside. And he says, look, you picked the wrong guy to idolize. See, I, I ain't worth much. Sure, I was born with a decent quirk and some brains in my head, but all that's got nothing to do with a man's true value. And uh, we get this really heartfelt panel of some of the characters that Knuckle Duster has just influenced over the, really, the entire series. And he says, if there was ever anything about me that was worth a damn, I've already passed it all on to more deserving people. Sadly, all I got left to give you is my own worthless life. And he that's when he pulls out this transmitter or a detonator. Uh, and we see that like package, those boxes that we've seen before, and they are definitely a bomb. Yeah, and, and that panel actually even makes it seem like there were multiple packages, maybe in multiple buildings, yeah. as if he narrowed down the the place where Six might take his uh, you know, implement his particular plan to maybe a block yeah. or, or, you know, a corner of a block or something as a small, small space of buildings. I did like this piece of continuity too, that, um, six had indicated that he had brought these rifle parts, presumably because he would need them in order to fire a bullet, um, with his body. And so when he takes the sniper form, he has the rifle in his uh, right hand, um, in it, uh, the, the barrel, um, protrudes from his right hand when he takes this shot at Knuckle Duster as well. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So it hasn't it hasn't moved. It's not like he's suddenly able to shoot uh, with his other hand now. That barrel hasn't moved. It's still in his right arm, and so is the bullet. So there is some um, some continuity as for the location of those things. Uh, but we do end uh, chapter one hundred and eleven with uh, an interesting last page where we see uh, Tamao. Um, sitting out, this is Knuckle Duster's daughter, uh, the previous host of the Queen Bee, sitting out on uh, like the porch, and she's got an electric guitar and a little amp, um, and she sees what she calls a shooting star in the sky. But do you think it's actually a shooting star, Adam? I mean, I definitely don't think so. It, it would be nuts if it was Knuckle Duster. Well, yeah, it would be nuts if it was... What are you saying, that the bombs blew Knuckle Duster into the sky like he's Team Rocket? Might as well have, right? Like <laughs> him and six both. <laughs> I was thinking that like the other maybe more reasonable ex- uh, explanation for that is either there, there's a chance, of course, that it's maybe is something that I need to look into as far as like Japanese like superstition. Like if you see a shooting star, that means this is happening in your family, almost like a premonition kind of thing. Oh, um, like an omen or something, yeah. Yeah, omen. That's the word I was looking for. Or it could be all might. Um, I, I thought of. I thought that it was guy. all might, but no, no way. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't like that. I, don't, I, I, I hope it's not all might. 
That was my first initial thought when I saw that shooting star. I was like, I hope that's not All Might. Because there's... I don't know. I just don't want it to be. I don't want this fight to be over, maybe. I mean, maybe he's going to fight some Kappas or something. You know, some other Japanese some mythical other creature. He doesn't well, necessarily, we... He's not just necessarily heading towards Narada, but there is a good chance that he is. I think he's going to end up on the scene at some point. That, I, I think, think he'll that have that's to. inevitable. Yeah, I think he'll have to. I mean, when we last left off with All Might, he was definitely headed to another festival, and we never picked back up with that, but I think it might have just been the writers kind of being goofy with All Might, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was they, actually going to They were definitely teasing. You, oh, for sure, yeah. I was definitely going to ask you if, if you had any thoughts behind that shooting star. Uh, so if you, if it's not All Might, do you have any other thoughts then, or do you are you pretty sure that that's what's happening here? I'm, I'm, I feel like that's what it's going to be, um, but I would also be interested and satisfied if it were some sort of omen yeah you know like i like um, that too i don't know what like an american almost like a step on your no not like step on the crack and break your mother's back but something similar where like you see something like, and you interpret that as an like omen two black of, cats like when you see two black cats you think of the matrix yeah okay it's kind of like an omen of the matrix breaking or whatever right yeah, that the code had been tampered with or whatever. Yeah, because I get what you're saying. I'm trying to think of some sort of American equivalent, but I'm off the top of my head. The only thing I can come up with is like, step on a crack, break your mother's back, don't walk under an open ladder, don't yeah, open those an umbrella are, those inside. Are superstitions, but those are, not right. omens. But they're kind of similar, but omens are more of a foretelling of something happening. And I, yeah, they're they're portents, right? It's like you see this thing and it and it if well, I guess they. There is a measure of superstition to them, but uh, yeah, they're they're more speci- they're more specific than that. Yeah. So maybe um, I'm sure it'll be a waste of time, but I'll see if I can Google you know omen shooting star Japanese culture and see if anything comes up in time for the next AMP. I wouldn't guess so. I think that it's all might, but I could be wrong. And like I said, if it were a clever literary use of a real world a real world omen uh, within the pages of Vigilantes, I would be perfectly satisfied with that. Me too. Although I think it would be hilarious if next week we picked up with six flying out of the sky. Well, I mean, it would be even sillier if we wanted to just go the straight Looney Tunes route. Is that the omen is super specific, like oddly so. Like, oh man, if you ever see a shooting star, it means that your dad is about to blow up a, a building <laughs> with a bunch of C4. And you're like, oh, sh- oh crap, I just saw a shooting star. <clears throat> and you get to just that would get, be ridiculous. Yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, man, I think this has been a blast. Another awesome uh, two chapters in Vigilantes. We're getting closer and closer to the end, as everybody knows. Uh, I'm, I'm having such a blast. I'm so glad Knuckle Duster is back on the scene. I have been craving Knuckle Duster in this issue, or not in this issue, but in this series. Like I've just missed that character. He is so refreshing to have back. Uh, so I'm sure that we're about to lose him, but that's okay. I feel like it's, uh, it's worth it, maybe, in this case. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in two weeks. Yeah, it's interesting because... Knuckle Duster is at a place where he believes he he has done all the good that he can. And the only good that he has left to do is uh, a self-sacrifice. So I don't yeah, I don't know if he survives this. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel one way or the other yet. I'll have to process that some. But it was kind of funny, too, that we spent episodes and episodes going, where's where's so gone his motorbike? Where's Knuckle Duster? They're both going to come around eventually, and they both roll around in uh, episode 110. Yeah. I did think it was a little weird that Knuckle Duster wasn't healed. I mean, come on. Like, it, this world is filled full of people with quirks. You can't tell me he didn't have someone around that could, you know, kiss him on the cheek and make him feel better. Yeah, he didn't know a guy named Bloodbank. Come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, 
I just thought that was a weird touch. Like, I get the need to have him uh, uh, hobbling up the stairs like that and making it very dramatic, but it did feel a little strange that this guy that used to be a pro hero doesn't have anyone that can help him out. I mean, it's been several months since he fought six, I think. It's not like it's just been a, a couple days. Yeah, but it, I mean, last time he got he got thumped. I mean, and oh, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, no, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I get it, man. Dude has had plenty of reason to uh, to be lying low and trying to recover. But it, it maybe he's just at the point now where he feels like his hand is being forced, like given yeah. his druthers, he would have liked a little bit more recovery time. But now he's like, I have to do this now because six is doing this now. Well, and I have to slap myself on the wrist a little bit here. I forget that, like, Recovery Girl's quirk comes at great cost. Like, she couldn't keep healing Midoriya. So maybe, you know, Knuckle Duster's just at an age now where she couldn't have fixed him up without his body just accidentally killing him anyways. There are limitations to these quirks, so I forget that. Yeah. But we've got... No, well, I was going to say we have plenty more, but we probably don't have enough Vigilantes left. We've got pre- very precious little of Vigilantes left, it seems. But we're going to stay on this Vigilantes train um, and ride it all the way to the depot, as I'm sure somebody says. Certainly not me. I've never said that phrase <laughs> in my whole life. Uh, but we're we're here for it until it's done, and then we will uh, shift uh, into. We've got some options. We got some Smash volumes. We got some team up uh, team up mission stuff. Um, we're we're certainly a well, maybe not a far cry from socks and ties, but we got some time. Yeah, we definitely have a little bit of time, and we've got uh, movies and things that are coming out, so there's stuff for us to cover. Uh, but if you want to check in with us two weeks from now, we'll be covering chapters 112 and 113 of Vigilantes. And if you want to check in next week, if you just like, ah, I want to hear Adam and Atkins talk about something else, go check out Kyo Cinema. Every other Monday, whenever it is not Almighty Mondays, we're having Kyo Cinema Mondays, where we review a Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Super movie, maybe even an OVA. I think next Monday we're covering uh, the second coming of Broly. That is true. We we finished the first Broly movie. We're on to the lesser of the trilogies, for, as far as I'm concerned. Number two and number three uh, don't hold a candle in the wind to the first one. But uh, that is a discussion for Kyo Cinema. So hopefully you'll tune in. Don't forget, you can hit us up on Twitter at AlmightyPod. Uh, the pinned tweet there can also take you to RSS feeds for both of our podcasts, websites for both of our podcasts, and give you direct access uh, to our Discord channel where plenty of co- good conversations take place. Yes, we would love to have you. We'll see you next week. We're in two. See you guys.